Hello and welcome to Sojourners in the Storm podcast. Today we're going to be covering 2 John verses 1 through 13. This is a very short uh, epistle found towards the end of the New Testament. And um, today we're going to cover the entire thing. So uh, with that, let's pray. Father God, Lord, I pray that you would just go before us today, Lord, that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, Lord, that you would just lead us and guide us, Lord. Teach us something new. Father, help us to understand uh, your word, Lord, your message, and and find the truth in everything that we do. Father, I thank you, and I pray to you and ask you these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so Second John is a short letter that's written on the same subject matter, basically, as First John. There are really no disputes over its authorship, as the themes and narrative value, uh, authoritative values are consistent in the second message. 2 John and 3 John are both the same length. Uh, most ancient letters of the time period were written on a single sheet of papyrus, and so this is consistent with that um, amount of space to write on. The length of the letter is also consistent with the length of official letters sent by high priests to Jewish leaders outside of Palestine during the time period. Now, the letter addresses some of the same problems as, as 1 John. Many false teachers of the day, as they do today, describe Jesus as sort of uh, John the Baptist-like, uh, a great man and prophet, but not the supreme Lord in the flesh. Um, there was also pressure from the synagogues to compromise the gospel and allow for more paganism. In those days, some but not all of the Roman cities targeted Christians for persecution. The Jewish people under Rome were exempt from worshiping Caesar. There was at that time a ruler named Domitian, who had been uh, embarrassed by the Jewish revolt that had taken place between 60 and 70 AD, and wanted to disassociate Rome with both Asian Jews and people that were Jewish in ethnicity but did not practice Judaism, but uh, were known to be Messianic, or kingdom bringers. This is another term for Christians. This brought pressure from local synagogues to blend into the larger culture and hide your faith. Now, along with that, John was also writing in response to heretics like uh, Serenthus, who was basically the Joel Olstein of the day. It seems, uh, uh, how I mentioned before, uh, these guys seem to think that Jesus was a prophet that spoke a good message, taught, taught about morality and stuff like that, but he was not really God. That was the message that they were spreading. As well as the Domitians, who claimed Jesus was not really flesh and blood, at all, but the phantom, uh, a phantom that appeared to be a man. Now, these would be more of the pagan type people of the time. Now, these false teachers would adopt their message to the culture, and whatever that was left was called Christianity, but was so compromised by the adjustments made uh, to it that it led them away from the truth that was given to them by the actual eyewitnesses of Jesus. So, I think this is this letter is very important and, and relevant to us today as we see many attacks being levied at the church, both culturally and theologically, we have to constantly be on guard. You know, there's a false doctrine and a false teacher around every corner, it seems. I saw just a few weeks ago how the governor of New York was asking people to be her apostles in the battle against COVID and spreading of the vaccine. You know, just yesterday, and this is a little bit dated, but on Columbus Day, there were attacks against Christians because Christopher Columbus was a Catholic, 
and Indians died as a result of the discovering of the Americas. You know, we continue on in a world that condemns all facets of history. It diminishes the importance of freedom and scoffs at the idea of salvation or truth. You know, we must be con uh, continue to be uh, people of the truth and be grounded in it. Sooner or later, the world is going to see its folly, as so many of us have before, turning to the Lord. When that happens, the church needs to be there to instruct and disciple those that turn to God. You know, one way that we can understand that the culture is completely lost its way is if we look at the events that are going on today. If one person says something 10 years ago, or said something 10 years ago, and suddenly it comes out, that person is canceled. Well, you know what? There's no redemption in a world like that. You know, if you mess up, you're done. And people are held to a high standard that nobody can hold up to. That's works. That's the world. You know, but with Jesus, we have redemption. With Jesus, we have a second chance, a new birth, right? We have that change. And so what better time than now to look to God, to look to the Bible, to look to Jesus for salvation? Because the world is not going to offer it. The world wants to cancel you. The world wants to shut you out. The world wants to shut you down and put you out. It's segregating itself again. You know, it's, it's going back to the old things that they're actually condemning, but they're bringing back in order to, I, I don't even understand the logic of it anymore. But the key is look to Jesus, look to the Lord, look to what he does, look at his message of hope and salvation and change. Because if we look to the world, we're only going to be let down because we're all going to fail, right? And as soon as we fail, there's always going to be somebody there to pour dirt on our grave. Who wants to live like that? I, you know, I, I try not to sin, but I know that I'm going to sin, and I know that it's going to happen, but I know the Lord's going to forgive me. Right? What does First John tell us? We have an advocate before the Father, you know, that defends us. Why not live a life like that? You know, we have to be brotherly in this world, though, also. We have to be morally upright. We have to be sound in the doctrine of Christ because it is our only hope. So let's get into 2 John. Let's take a look at what it has to say for us. In 2 John chapter, uh, well, 2 John chapter 1, there's only one chapter. Let's go verses 1 through 3. It says, The elder, to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also those who have known the truth, because of the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with you from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and in love. So my understanding in the body of Christ is given to me because if believing in the truth, uh, because of believing in the truth of Jesus Christ. You know, John starts this letter by identifying himself as the elder. In that day and age, authority was given to leaders in the Jewish community by virtue of their age. We know John lived to at least 95 AD when he was given the visions of Revelation on the island of Patmos. Uh, he was the last living apostle of the, the original 12. In 1 John, we could see that he used the phrase, my little children, often. And now in this letter to the church, he explained doctrine and Christian living to the believers. He writes from a place of wisdom and fatherly advice concerning his advice. Here, he's writing to the elect lady and her children. Many have struck the debate that this letter was sent to a specific woman or elder prophetess. 
but there's little evidence of that. Now, if we look, for example, at 3 John in verse 1, and I'll read that to you, it says, The elder, to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. You know, he specifically mentions Gaius, who the letter is intended for, as the letter's recipient. In the case of 2 John, the consensus is that John is referring to the church as a whole, as the elect lady. Often in the Bible, Israel, as well as the church, are referred to with a female pronoun. For instance, the church is the bride of Christ. In Revelation chapter 21, verse 2, it says, Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. In Revelation 21, 9, it says, Then one of the seven angels, who had the seven bowls filled with the seven plagues, came to me and talked with me, saying, Come. I will show you the bride of the Lamb's wife. Uh, the Lamb's wife. So we understand that the church is the bride. It's female. And Christ is the groom. It's male. He's male. You know, we can know, uh, now see that the elect lady is the church that John is writing to. And her children, logically, as follows, are the believers that make up the church body. Now, you can't have a church, an iglesia, or called out ones without the ones, right? So the ones would be um, the little children. Whom I love in truth. You know, we are all grounded in the truth of Jesus Christ. We believe in his miraculous virgin birth. We believe in his life's work and ministry by the reading of the events that we do in the Bible from the testimony of eyewitnesses, as well as verified events, locations, and names of historical figures in the Bible through uh, accounts of secular history. We all come from different walks of life. We all have different backstories. We all have different experiences. But we are all put together or held together in fellowship by the truth of Jesus Christ and our submission to his will. You know, there are many people out there that claim to know God but have little to do with Jesus. There are many that want to know Jesus but have no regards for the Holy Spirit or the Father. There is only one way, through, uh, though, one truth, and that is the receiving of fellowship of the whole Godhead through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, it's important in our lives that we come to know God in all areas of his being, through his, a lifelong study of the Word, through our own personal relationship and reading of the Word. You know, we don't wake up to be uh, uh, to an audible voice from God every day. We are, though, given the Word in black and white and in all different languages and reading levels as a means of getting to know God. We test all things by the word of God. In First uh, John chapter 4, it says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know that the Spirit of God, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. Now, how many times do we have something put in our minds that we know is spiritual or coming from the spirit realm through our lives? Now, I know I often get an urge to do something for somebody, but I still have to go back and test it because the word uh, against the word and make sure it's from God. You know, the enemy can use things like that as a means of building pride in our lives and thus making us think we're better than we are. You know, we're lowly sinners, nothing more, living by the grace of God as the revelation of the grace of God. You know, there are too many people out there that claim to be followers of Christ that live carnally, that take advantage of his grace. In fact, they even, uh, 
if in fact they even understand it. But have no real idea of who God is. You know, their whole life is based on a liver quiver or a bosom blessing and not grounded in truth. The problem with experiential Christianity is that the devil can bless and make you feel good too. Now, without the truth of the word, we are susceptible to the cunning deceptions of Satan. God's people are grounded and united in the truth, and not just now, but always. But also, those who have known the truth will be all united as the bride of Christ in the, at the marriage supper of the Lamb. All of us that believe the truth and hold the truth of Jesus Christ as our guiding principle in our lives will be one for eternity with Christ. From Adam and Eve to the last Gentile before the trumpet, uh, uh, before the trumpet, are the one in the truth, are, are all one in the truth. You know, we're all united in the truth. Because the truth which, uh, because of the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever. You know, God's grip on our lives is eternal. Once He grabs hold of us, He never lets go. As believers, I think the more we mature in Christ, the more we hold on to Him as well. Now, have you ever used JB Weld? You know, I use that stuff around my house all the time when I'm putting stuff together that, you know, I don't have a real welder, but I can glue something together with JB Weld pretty good. Now, when you buy this stuff, it comes in two different tubes. One is an epoxy and one is a hardener. Now, when you go to use it, you fuse the two things together. You mix them up. You mix the epoxy and the hardener together, and you let it set and rest when, when you put the, your two pieces together, right? Now, the longer it rests, the harder the mixture gets, and eventually eventually, it's about impossible to break apart. You know, that's the sort of way that we are with Jesus. The longer we have to uh, we have in life, in life to truly mix and settle into his will for our lives, the more we grow to love him and less likely we are to let go, right? The longer we abide together with him, the less there will be things that can drive us apart. His love for us had no beginnings as ours does for him, but it is eternal in its unity because it is one of very few things that has a beginning but no ending. You know, it's not subject to atrophy, but gets better and lo the longer that it's in existence. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with you from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father in truth and love. You know, grace and mercy Forgiveness and pardon are two things we least deserve, but we are freely given in salvation. We all deserve judgment and punishment, but God's mercy sets, uh, you know, it replaces the judgment with grace. And the result is peace with God, as we are no longer in opposition to his will, but on the side of his divine plan under his authority. From God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, or the manifestation of the Father in the flesh. We know they are one along with the Holy Spirit, and that we cannot have one without the others. We abide in that truth. It is the truth there. That it is the truth. There is none other. Not your truth or my truth, but the truth of God and no one else. We love the truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, because he first loves us. Thus, we share in his love, and that makes it reciprocal. It's circular. You know, we're always... The, we're in a loving relationship with Jesus Christ. Verse 4 says, I rejoice greatly that I have found some of your children walking in truth as we received a commandment from the Father. And now I plead with you, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment to you,
but that which we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. This is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, that as you have heard from the beginning, you should walk in it. You know, my actions are a reflection of my belief in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Verse 4 says, I, great, I rejoice greatly that I have found some of your children walking in truth, as we received a commandment from the Father. You know, in John's day, as well as today, in today, uh, today's world, there are people that heard the gospel and made a profession of faith, but in a short time turned away. You know, we know and understand that Christian life is not an experience that we go through in spurts, but it's a lifetime of growth. The key phrase here is that I have found some of your children walking in truth. That tells us that by this point, the false teachers had made their way into the church. They had made their way and gotten to believers and corrupted them. You know, he's excited that there are those that did not turn away from the truth, but endure. They took the word and they took it to heart. You know, it's so important for us in this day and age that all the different things that are happening around us, the threat of the emergent church and its false doctrines infiltrating our churches, the desire of the church to be like the world or present itself as close to the world as possible without being in the world. You know, if you play with fire, eventually you're going to get burned. And the church as a whole needs to be aware of that. You know, I think one of the great things and one of the bad things from COVID is that we all saw an uptick in, in the viewership of services online. But now that the pandemic is in endemic mode, the churches are still broadcasting live and nobody's coming back to church and viewership is down as well. Even this Bible study is a result of it. You know, we've stayed on Zoom uh, if you're with us during the week, we, we all meet up on Zoom uh, on Tuesday uh, evenings and, uh, you know, go through these studies. Uh, we did it as a convenience. And basically now it's an unwillingness for me to clean my house and invite uh, everybody over for the study once a week. But, you know, it was an opportunity that I took when the churches were closed, knowing that, you, you know, we kind of needed some fellowship. The, everybody out there was kind of alone. Um, we were scared. Nobody knew what was really going on with this virus that's going around over here. And so, you know, the Lord put it on my heart and said, you know, start a Bible study. You've been talking about it for years. Do it now. And this was the means to do it. And, you know, we've carried on. We've grown. We've uh, gotten bigger. We've gotten smaller. And you know what? The Lord's carried it through. And we, we get together. We study. We fellowship. We pray. Uh, when we go to church on Sundays and Wednesdays, you know, we all see each other. We hang out in the cafe. It, it, it's an awesome thing. You know, uh, God uses these things in different ways. But the key is that we all got back to church. And a lot of people are not going back. A lot of people have turned away. A lot of people have turned to the church of Netflix or Hulu and stuff like that. And, you know, that's not a good thing. Being locked up in your house, it gives you a reason to lose the will to live. And you know what? We've got to get back out there. We've got to be ready. We've got to be going. Um, you know, in a way, we have conformed to the fear that's being pumped into the world. And it's cost the church in terms of faith, congregants, and leadership. You know, a lot of pastors close their doors and never open them again. You know, it, it, it's a really sad thing to see. But, you know, we have to carry on because the truth does not die. It does not die uh, with the pandemic. It's pandemic proof. The truth will carry on forever. 
And you know what? It's carried on by the descendants of, you know, our Lord Jesus Christ. We're his adopted sons. We've got to carry on the family name. We've got to carry on the truth and pass it on to the next generation. I think if John was to see the faithful that have returned, he would be speaking to us in this verse. You know, it's important that we do attend church. We need that fellowship and the relationships that it brings. I know all of us do, and we are blessed by that. Verse 5 says, And now I plead with you, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment to you, but that which we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. You know, we go around each other because we love each other. We look out for each other and pray for each other. If we are following the social tests of faith and the social affirmation of our faith, then we are loving one another in fellowship and gathering. Not only the church, but others as well. You know, we're not out there cheerleading for sin, but we're trying to get sinners saved because we love them. You know, if we're looking at the moral affirmation of our faith, we're living lives that reflect the virtues and teachings of Jesus Christ. We live lives of character and righteousness. We fail, but we, yet we acknowledge our failures and repent from them. Our behavior reflects our claims and, our, and convictions. We do all of this because we have put our faith in the risen Christ. And though... And through that, we have been granted eternal life by grace through faith, and thus our lives are under the lordship of Jesus. We abide in his word, and we love one another. We are hospitable with one another, because the ultimate form of hospitality was Jesus hosting our sins on our behalf in his punishment on the cross. You know, we love one another because Jesus loved us, and we give because he gave. We have compassion because he had compassion. There is not now, nor was there anything new about that commandment. Jesus handed it down, and we follow it still. The world, the false teachers, and the like can come and try any trick, uh, all the tricks in the book and add new doctrines to the church. But those that know the Bible know the Lord, and thus abide in the truth. Verse 6 says, This is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment that you have heard from the beginning. You should walk in it. You know, God is not looking for flash. He's looking for faithfulness. Now, if you've ever played a sport, and I'll use basketball for an example, um, you know, we watch these athletes that are, are, are dominant in, in basketball, right? And I'm going to use my brother Keith as an example. When he was in high school, he was the only one on his team that was able to dunk. And you know what? His, he was ultra talented. He could change a game uh, with offense, defense, whatever. But, you know, we're not all like that. We don't all stand out in such a way. But those people around Keith made the game better because they had fundamental uh, values, right? If you can dribble and you can rebound and, and make a layup from time to time, you can play basketball, right? You know, fundamentals are there for a, a reason. They make us effective, even when we don't have the greatest of talents. Now, our commandment to love God, our neighbors, and live moral lives are the fundamentals of our faith. If we love God, then we trust Him. If we trust Him, then we abide, uh, then we believe Him. When we believe Him, we proclaim Him. That proclamation becomes glorification through our conduct and love for others. For every few million of us, we find a Billy Graham or a Charles Spurgeon. The rest of us are still effective when we follow the fundamentals and stick to what God has given us, not playing outside of our abilities. You know, what happens when we step outside of our abilities and our callings is that we often get lost in ambition and sidelined because we have de deviated from the game plan. 
You know, I'm not saying that we should not step out in faith. This Bible study group, this podcast is adventure in faith. But we must do everything within the framework of the will of God because it's easy to be led astray. Verse 7. For many deceivers have gone out into the world. Do not confess Jesus Christ, uh, who do not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh, who is a deceiver and an this is a deceiver and an antichrist. Look to yourselves that we do not lose those things we work for, but that we may receive a full reward. Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house, nor greet him. For he who greets him snares, uh, shares in his evil deeds. So I must be aware of wolves in sheep's clothing. I know I've beaten this like a drum, but there are false teachers and false Christs and deceivers around every corner. I think the devil sees the, uh, the way the world is turning. He's no longer, a, uh, and he is no stranger to scripture. You know, we all read articles that we are, uh, that we are in, and, and so I'm sure, um, he as well is, is well versed in the word, right? Because he's in the Bible, right? Look at, uh, look at the world today, though. How many people do you know that have put their trust in St. Fauci, right? How many people worship the science or, uh, put all their trust in, in, in the shot that don't seem to protect you from anything unless you're keeping, uh, uh, you know, unless you keep getting them, right? Uh, it, it seems to be like a constant flow that you have to upkeep for. You know, people are worshiping these false things. Um, this is an, uh, this is idol worship. You know, when a doctor tells you that a vaccine is going to save your life and God can't because you're a Christian that got infected, then they're trying to take your faith, uh, take you and our faith in, in God and put them in them, right? They're trying to, uh, move your faith from, uh, Christ into some sort of well, well a vaccine that you know it seems to be effective um in, in keeping people safe and and healthy for the most part but you're still going to get sick right uh so obviously that's going to fail too right you know our faith is not in the here and the now but it's in the eternal you know our faith says that even if i catch a disease and die from it i know that god is behind it and i know that as soon as I pass from this world, you know, I'm going to be in the presence of Jesus Christ. And that's the great and glorious thing that we look for. You know, nowhere in the Bible does it tells us that tell us that everything's going to be simple and easy and breezy. You know, and a lot of people get lost in that. Everybody thinks, well, I'm a Christian, so I'm just going to be nice to people and people are going to be nice to me. Not so when you tell them you're a Christian. You know, we are the fly in the punch bowl. People do not like us because we stick to the truth. Because we don't follow every whim and and uh, and way every time the wind turns, you know we're not the flag out there blowing and just following the wind. We are the flagpole. We stay steady. We are on point. We do not move from that. And the world doesn't like that because we're not under the sway of the world. We understand that the world is controlled by the evil one, and we are not going to be controlled by that. We live for God and Jesus Christ. You know, when you do not hold any kind of conviction, but you change constantly from one uh, belief to another, well, then you are under this way. You are looking at idols to, to, to lead you and follow you. And that doesn't work out. 
Jesus warned us about that. In Matthew 24, verse 24, it says, For false Christs and false prophets will arise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, even if possible, the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. Therefore, if you say, if they say to you, Look, he is in the desert, do not go out. Or look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. You know, what does Christ mean? It means the Messiah that we're being offered up, uh, a plate full of Messiahs every time uh, we open our phones or our computers. Do not be deceived because we know that Jesus came in the flesh and will return in the flesh. If we keep our trust in him, we know we will be okay in life and in death. We know that Jesus was not a man. He, he, he was not a creation of mankind. He is incarnate God, eternal. We are offered all the solutions and safety in this safeties in this world by false prophets all the time. But we know the signs. We know what to look for. In Matthew 24, again, verse 27, it says, For the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, and so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For whenever the carcass is, wherever the carcass is, there the eagles will be gathered together. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven. Then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with the great sound of a trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of, the, uh, uh, of heaven to the other. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I haven't seen Fauci do that yet, right? He hasn't appeared in the sky and come down. He hasn't darkened out the moon or the, star, uh, or the stars or anything like that. In fact, this guy can't even hold one opinion from one week to the other. You know, look at, uh, to yourselves that we do not lose those things we work for, but that we may receive the full reward. No, you know, no matter how hard things get, how dire things may look, nothing the world offers as a solution will ever be sufficient. We cannot abandon our faith. We shall not be like Romans 1 says, those that abandon the truth for the lie. We know the truth. We must band together as the church in truth and look for the coming of the Lord and the ultimate reward, that we are the called out ones. As we read in Matthew 24 happens, we're already going to be gone when all this stuff is taking place. You know, we do not bow the knee on earth to any false Christ, but we will bow the knee in heaven in front of the Lamb that was slain for us. Verse 9 says, Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. So whoever transgresses or goes away from the truth and does not abide in the truth does not have God. Looking at this, it's important that we guard ourselves at all times as it concerns our faith. We cannot believe our, uh, ourselves to be secure if we fall away and stay away. You know, the Christian life is a marathon, not a sprint. Sometimes in a marathon, you may stop running and walk some, but the key is that you start running again. Or like climbing a rope, you may slip, but the key is that you start climbing again, right? We may fall into sin, but whenever we do, we need to be mindful and repent. Because if we follow the sin and turn away from the Lord, we lose God. We, he will always be there to love us and call us back. But we have to listen and return, otherwise we end up lost. But when we abide, when we stay the course, when we keep that tunnel vision on the Lord, we have both the Father and the Son. We have the Spirit and the truth, and nothing can separate us from that as long as we abide 
and hold up our end of the contract of salvation. Verse 10 says, If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house nor greet him. For he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. Now I can remember being as a, a kid and growing up on Saturday mornings, every Saturday morning it seemed like, we would all get up, my mom would make a huge breakfast, and we'd all fill, uh, fill up and lay around in the living room watching cartoons or John Wayne movies or something. And later we'd go outside and work on whatever our dad had for us to do that week. Uh, you know, I grew up on a three-acre uh, plot of land that was kind of a small farm, and so we always had stuff to do outside. We're trimming trees or landscaping or fixing fences and all kinds of stuff, right? But uh, on one Saturday morning, I remember my dad was looking out the front window, and we had a mobile home back then. It was a single wide, and at the front of the, uh, of the trailer was the kitchen. And it was kind of lifted up. You had to go up three steps to get into the kitchen, and underneath was like a storage and stuff. But it had this big window over the front counter that you could see out into the driveway and onto the street. And uh, he turns around, and I remember him telling us, everybody shut off the TV, turn off the lights, and lay on the floor next to the windows, and just be quiet. Whatever you do, don't make a sound. And so we're like kind of bewildered. We're just kids. We don't know what's going on. And uh, the next thing you know, you hear these steps coming up the porch, uh, you know, footsteps coming up the porch steps and up to the front door. And you hear a knock. My dog's outside. Dino was just going ham on these guys. And, uh, you know, we laid there for about a good three or four minutes. And they, they were just knocking and, and, and just very politely knocking and stuff like that. Next thing you know, they, you, you hear the footsteps turn around, go down the stairs. Dino's escorting him out the front yard and uh, we all kind of sit up and my dad's just sitting there he's eating a bowl of ice cream I, I think he was making it the whole time but uh, <laughs> uh, that's beside the point but my mom goes what was that he goes oh it's just Jehovah's Witnesses we, we don't open the door for those guys and uh, you know I know this is kind of an example of an extreme as well as a true story but not allowing false doctrines into our house as it pertains to the text in those days, you know, there were no Motel 8s. There were no uh, inns. Uh, uh, you know, like, you, you couldn't just go stop at the Radisson if you were traveling and, and stay there. You know, the inns of the time were disgusting places. And so uh, when teachers like Paul, for instance, would travel from town to town, they would stay with believers in their homes while they visited. You know, the exhortation that John is giving to the churches is to be careful because the false teachers of the time were coming and going from town to town and using Christian hospitality as a means of accommodations as well as infiltration into the church. So as much as we need to uh, need unity in the body of Christ, we also must have discernment. We have to be careful of those we listen to and the angle that they are approaching from. You know, the devil never stops attacking. There are 360 degrees in a circle, and each one of those degrees is an angle of attack. So we must constantly be on guard. You know, the Jehovah's Witnesses call themselves Christians. So do the Mormons and others. But their Jesus, is it the Jesus of the Bible? In fact, no. Right? Some believe that Jesus is the Archangel Michael. Uh, you know, that's kind of a phantom belief, right? That, you know, he's turned into Jesus, and then after the cross, he turned back into Michael. Others believe that he's the spirit brother of Satan. You know, that's not true. You know, that Satan is creation. Uh, 
and not uh, not divine. Um, in Mark chapter 7, verse 6, it says, He answered and said to them, well, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines of the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the, the tradition of men, the washing of pitchers and cups, and many other such things you do. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, it says, Now every spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and, co uh, and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, it says, As I urged you when I went to Macedonia, remain in Ephesus that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine, nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies which causes, which cause disputes rather than godly edification, which it is in faith. Now the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from a sincere faith, from which some, having strayed, have turned aside to idle talk, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither that they say nor the things that they affirm. But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for the lawless and insubordinate, for the ungodly and for sinners, for the unholy and profane, for murderers and of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for fornicators, for sodomites, for kidnappers, for liars, for perjurers, and if there is any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which has uh, which was committed to my trust. You know, false teachers bring false doctrines, and we are not to take part in that type of activity. If a Jehovah's Witness comes to our door, we should not listen to them as they try to convert us. We need to be offense looking to speak the, the, the truth to them. Now, I've heard a few, uh, I've had a few come to my door, and that is uh, where they say, you know, when they when we receive them into our homes, we're blessing them. You know, I've in recent weeks uh, seen some Jehovah's Witness members go into the church in Las Lunas, where I, I, I go, and try to talk to our members. But what I've also seen is our members going up and putting them on, on the burners with questions and, and big, fat servings of the truth, you know? And the next thing you know, these guys are turning around and walking out and with a bewildered look on their face because the truth will confuse these guys, right? It's a stumbling block to the Gentiles. When you have the Jehovah's Witnesses, well, the founder of that movement didn't believe in the triunity of God. He didn't like some of the doctrines, so he went out and took the Bible, he changed a lot of words, changed some doctrines, and, you know, you took the truth and made it an untruth. And so when somebody gives you the truth, you're just kind of like, um, what do I do with this now, right? And so that's what I see happening up there. You know, a solid church is made up of solid believers. When we accept or when we accommodate the false doctrines of the devil, we are then assisting in the, the work of deception. Now, I was listening to Raul Reese the other day, and, and on this passage, he said, If they come into your door, and after you've confirmed them with the truth, send them away, but do not wish them luck or bless them, because if you do, you're blessing their works. We do not teach it, we do not bless it, and we do not condone it. 
Verse 12 says, having many things to write to you. I did not wish to do so with paper and ink, but I hope to come to you and speak face to face that our joy may be full. The children of your elect sister greet you. Amen. So the body of Christ is unified when it is in fellowship. Now we are the body of Christ. We do not wake up every day and screw on our legs and our arms. We are together always, right? As the body, we need to be unified in the truth of Christ and in fellowship with one another. John writes to uh, to this church that he wants to, to go see them face to face, not just communicate by letter. For me, it's like when I get uh, a Sunday off and I'm able to attend church and see the whole group of people there, or even better, when I decide to go up to Albuquerque and see the guys from Bible College that I haven't seen for a while. You know, we have a bond, and we form bonds as believers. We worship together. We rejoice together. But also we suffer together. We pray together. We need to be in fellowship together. You know, it's cool to see big conferences come together. You know, here in, in uh, New Mexico, we have a big conference every year in Ridoso. And, and there's like 13 or 14 churches that come together. People come from California for that thing. In Phoenix, there's another big one in March that, uh, you know, I know our church goes to and a lot of churches around here get together. And, and from all over, uh, you know, churches caravan out and get together for a few days and worship and praise and fellowship. You know, that's the unity we need right now, though, because the world is on the offensive. They are trying to divide and separate and conquer us, but it won't happen. You know, how are the churches in John's day? In verse 13, that tells us, uh, you know, they were in fellowship. Even if not personally, they prayed for each other. They were unified in the truth. Through all this, though, we need to be mindful of our walks. There is nothing to add or take away from as far as the, world, uh, as the word of God goes. It is perfect, and we must stick to it. We are, if we are fundamentally sound, we are effective. We do not need any new revelation because any new revelation is the revelation of man, and man is a, is a deceiver. You know, do not accommodate false doctrine and pray for the body of Christ. Be mindful of what's going on. You know, understand that the times that we live in are times of peril. You know, every time we turn around, there's something new coming out to attack us. Remember the murder hornets last summer? I don't know whatever happened to them. But you know what? We have coronavirus. Then we have Delta variant. Now we have the threat of communism running around the world. We have all these different things that are happening where, sure, we may lose our lives, but we cannot lose our faith. Because if we lose our faith, then we really lose our lives. That's when we face the second death. You know, pray with your church body. Get together with them. Spend time with them. Take classes. Go to prayer meetings. You know, hang out after service. Come in a little bit early before service. Talk to people. Get to know people. You know, these are not just our friends. They're not just people we go to church with or go to our church. These are our brothers and sisters. We need to be in fellowship with them. Because at any time, we could be taken out. You know, we could be dealing with something, and we might need somebody. And those people, I guarantee you, are going to be there for you. Just the same as we need to be there for them. So with that, let's close. Father God, Lord, thank you again for the truth. Lord, thank you for giving us not a bunch of just weird proverbs to follow like so many other religions do but lord that you have given us the truth you've given us one message one direction and one way and father that we may follow that and stake our lives on it lord father i thank you so much for loving us for taking care of us for looking out for us lord father i pray that pray that you would just bless this week for each and every person out there 
Lord, and just go before us. Father, I thank you and I pray to you in Jesus' name. Amen.